Anybody else ever had a tough boss? Okay, now you don't need to show hands, all right, particularly if your boss is in here or anything, but um, I, I want to try to, to take a more positive uh, stance on this today. So I want to tell you about a couple, we'll call them some interesting bosses that I've had along the way, okay? Uh, Elizabeth and I went to Lincoln Christian University, and, uh, and we did a part-time uh, weekend youth ministry on the side while we were in school, and it was over in Indiana, and so we'd travel over each weekend, and we would be working over there and, uh, and doing youth ministry stuff. And the senior minister that I worked for there was, uh, was just a big people person, just a big, you know, loved being around people, but not an extremely confrontational person. I don't know if anybody's ever worked for a boss like this. And so my guess is, and again, this is just speculation, but my, my assumption is somewhere along the line, he was probably complaining about my performance to someone else, uh, probably an elder or something like that. And, and uh, I'm guessing that that person said, well, why don't you bring it up in his review, which he realized that he didn't do because he didn't like confrontation and, and everything that it meant. And so, so anyway, uh, rather than then scheduling a review for some weekend, um, where we could sit down and talk together, I, I, we go over there one weekend and we come back after that. And a couple days later, I open up my email and there is my performance review in an email. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but it's kind of an unsettling thing to read about pages and pages of the things you are and are not getting done at work via email. And, uh, and so I did what you know seemed like any rational, you know, arrogant young college guy would do. I fired off an even longer email, point by point, you know, uh, responding to all the criticisms that were in that one. Well, um, after college, uh, we, uh, it was time for me to do an internship, and we went up to the south suburbs of Chicago. And, uh, and so if I had worked for a boss in college that was all about people and not about confrontation at all, then the next boss that I worked for was all about confrontation and maybe a little less gifted on the people side of things. And, uh, and so we go up uh, there and, uh, and, and again, I know that, you know, a lot of this is on me because I was a cocky young guy, but uh, in order to help um, remind me of the pecking order that we had and in order to kind of help keep me in my place along the way, uh, this particular supervisor of mine would introduce me places as uh, his slave and his monkey boy. Those were some affectionate terms. That he, I'm not kidding you. I can't make this stuff up, okay? Um, and so, you know, we would go around and I would be introduced to uh, other, you know, some of our volunteers or other youth ministers or students sometimes, you know, and these were some of the pet names that I had been given. And, uh, <clears throat> and actually, there was one time, um, kind of the worst it ever got was um, we had a high school Sunday school class. I say Sunday school class. There were like 60 high school kids in it. So it was just huge. And, uh, and there was a time where I had to do these bi-weekly reports for college where for my internship, I had to send back these things. And, uh, and he uh, decided that uh, he would refuse to, to sign my bi-weekly report unless I would bark like a dog in front of the high school Sunday school class as I don't really know what that was a show of. I, I really have no idea. But I, you know, again, I'm not making this stuff up. Well, when that internship was done, we left there. And, uh, and we went out to Colorado. Uh, and we're out there. And so we went to a huge church in Colorado. And of course, you know, I, I was thinking, like, maybe some of you have thought before, you know, if we go to a big church, everything will be perfect there, right? You know, the bigger the church gets, the less problems they have. Everything's fine, right? Uh, yeah. 
And, uh, and so went out there, and, you know, it's a very driven kind of workaholic culture, and I had a senior minister who worked, you know, 80 plus hours a week, and was just a driver and stuff like that. Well, it was the Tuesday before, we had staff meetings on Tuesday, it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And, uh, and so we were talking kind of at the end of staff meeting, giving kind of some marching orders for things that were coming up. And the senior minister, and I really think that he was just trying to be funny. Uh, the problem was he was just such a driver that people just didn't interpret it as humor. But, but he said something to the effect of, well, I guess, you know, on Thursday this week, we're going to give you some kind of holiday or something like that. But, you know, it's real quiet here in the office if you want to come in and get anything done. It's just a great time. You know, of course, we're all thinking, it's Thanksgiving, man, come on, you know. And the office manager piped in and said, well, uh, don't, don't forget Friday as well. You know, we get Thursday and Friday off. And he said, okay, fine, Barb. You guys get Thursday and Friday both off, you know. But, but it is really quiet around here if you want to come in and get some stuff done in the office. Now, my guess is that if we, you know, if we put a couple of microphones out here in the crowd and we let everybody share some of their stories about bosses that they've worked for, it would probably be a very therapeutic experience for us this morning, right? It'd be very cathartic. We'd get a lot out, I'm guessing. We also, unfortunately, don't have all week to allow all of us to share our experiences and stuff. So uh, we're going to continue in our, our, our uh, uh, series in Ephesians. We're going to be today in Ephesians 6. If you've got a Bible from the chair that's in front of you, that's page 829. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, page 829 of those Bibles uh, there. And, and uh, it's important to know that while we've been in the book of Ephesians for a while, uh, lately we've been focusing on the idea of submission. That's what we've been talking about these last couple weeks. Submission between husband and wife. Submission between children and parents. And whether you like it or not, whether you want to hear this today or not, uh, submission is going to lay the groundwork for how Paul says we should approach our work day in and day out. All right, so we're in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 5, and here's what it says there. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, uh, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I'm not sure what, uh, you know, what you notice first when you hear those words, but I'm guessing for a lot of us, that word slavery jumps out pretty fast to us. Uh, and we kind of wonder, you know, does the Bible condone slavery? Uh, did, Paul doesn't seem to speak against it, so is he complicit with this? And the patriarchs in the Old Testament own slaves, you know, and, and it is a gut-wrenching truth that over the centuries there have been people who have used texts just like this one to justify one human being owning another human being. So before we talk about some of the work element of this, I actually want to take a moment to talk about that slavery. Uh, a couple things. First, it is important to know that Paul never, ever, ever, ever gives a theological basis for slavery. Okay, Paul never gives a basis for it. He assumes slavery's presence in the world to which he writes, and he discusses our lifestyle within it. Okay, understand that in, in the first century Roman world, uh, conservative estimates put it at probably a third of the population were slaves. 
Okay, a third of the population. It is possible that you would go traveling into a village and there would be more slaves in the village than there were free men. Okay, but this is the same Paul who writes the book of Philemon. It's basically a letter to a guy named Philemon to beg him. He's got a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul's sending him back, and, and he's begging Philemon to accept him, uh, not with any consequences, but also to accept him as a brother. It's the same Paul who wrote in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Okay, so, so first, he never gives a basis. And second, it's important never, ever, ever to interpret what we read in the Bible through our lens of today. Okay, when you read the word slavery, right, we do the same thing. We read that, and we read it in the context of what we've known in the last couple hundred years, what we've read and things like that. First century slavery was very, very different than 19th century slavery in several ways. Okay, first one is this. Racial factors played, played no role in the slavery of their day. There were slaves from all over the Mediterranean, both in Greece and in Rome, okay, um, Generally, slaves were, uh, you, you ended up as a slave in one of a couple ways. Either you were a prisoner of war, you know, an army had come in attacking where you lived, and, uh, and you had a special skill, so instead of being killed, you were taken back into slavery, uh, or sometimes abandoned infants who were rescued, uh, or oftentimes somebody who had a debt that they owed to someone would sell themselves into slavery, okay? But the racial factors didn't play any role. Uh, second, slaves uh, had a reasonable expectation of, of being emancipated. Okay, great numbers of slaves were freed by the time they were 30. So many so that Caesar Augustus in the first century issues this decree where he says, uh, we, we, no one, the, the minimum age is now 30. We're not setting any other slaves free before they are 30 because there's so many flooding into the marketplace and the work world and everything. And, and third, freed slaves often became Roman citizens. And if they did, they typically had a relationship then with their former master because, again, they had a specific skill that might even be more educated than those who had them. Now, I don't want to try to romanticize slavery in the first century world, make it sound like it wasn't a big deal, okay? It was still one human being owning another human being. There were still slaves who were beaten, who were taken advantage of in a multitude of ways, and not everyone was freed from this system. But I think... I think that when we understand what slavery looked like in their world, it makes it a little bit easier for us to make the jump and understand how this text applies to us, okay? Paul didn't speak against slavery specifically here because he had something bigger in mind he wanted to accomplish. This Paul is already being countercultural. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know, you know, uh, uh, Paul, typically the custom would have been for Paul to write to men, and tell men, hey, make your wives submit. But instead, he writes to wives about their relationships. This would have been the St. Paul who should have written to men to say, hey, tell your children to obey. But instead, he writes directly to children. And in the very same way, instead of telling an owner how their slave should operate, he writes directly to them. He is already running countercultural, challenging people to see themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so Paul doesn't take time to deal with a social issue because he has eternity in mind that he wants to talk about. So we see that. Let's look at this text again. I want to read it over again. And this time, I want to pull out slaves and masters and stuff like that. I want to put in what I think applies to where we are a little bit more today with employees and bosses, all right? So here's what it would say. Employees, obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but, uh, but like employees of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as, you, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, 
because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is employed or free. And bosses, treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their boss and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Paul calls us to serve with fear and respect, with sincerity of heart, and as though we were serving God himself. Okay, serve like you're serving Christ. Work like you're working for Christ. And lead like God is your leader. Ouch, huh? Anybody convicted yet? All right, well, just wait, um, because I want to look at how I think this applies to some of the things that we do, some of our common practices. Okay, so he breaks this down. Fear and respect. Serve with fear and respect. Sincerity of heart and like you were serving God. Here's some ways that I think that should challenge us a little bit. Okay, how about how we speak publicly about our supervisors and our employers? Okay, much like the skit that we saw here. Okay, how you talk on Facebook or Twitter, or your chat statuses, or whatever other social networking tools you have, how you talk about those who are in authority over you speaks volumes about your heart. You know, it, it, is, uh, uh, it seems like Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays are the days where we talk about work on all of our social networking things, right? You know, so Monday, it'll be like, oh, you know, back to the grind, oh, weekend was too short, oh, I can't believe I have to be back in this place, right? And then for whatever reason, Tuesday, we kind of go silent, you know, complain about politics or whatever else. But then Wednesday, it's like, oh, hump day, oh, my life is so bad, you know, I just can't get, I got to get through today, and I only have two more days left. And then Thursday, you know, we pass along a couple more funny forwards or whatever. And then Friday, it's like, TGIF, right? You know, everybody's working for the weekend. I have two more hours, and I can get out of this horrendous place, okay? I read this stuff, and I got to be honest, sometimes I'm a little confused. Because I'll read a report that talks about kind of the economic state in our country, or jobless rates, or whatever else. And it seems like when I read some of that new stuff, you should consider yourself pretty blessed, pretty lucky to have a job that you get to go to day in and day out. And then I get on social networks and I read, it sounds like we're not considering ourselves that blessed to have those positions that we have. Okay, and I know that I'm running the risk of logging into Facebook tomorrow morning, right, and having like 100 less friends after today, or having an empty news feed because everyone's blocked me from seeing their statuses or whatever else, okay? But please hear me. I am not the scariest form of accountability in your life, right? You know what I'm saying? Okay? All right? I I would go so far as to say, I think sometimes our behavior borders on sinful. The same Paul that wrote Ephesians is the Paul who wrote Romans, who says in Romans 13 that God puts authorities in our lives and that we are to submit to those authorities. I'm trying to figure out how it honors God for you to shred your company or your supervisor out there publicly when you have an opportunity to talk. And if nothing else, honestly, this is just kind of pragmatic, isn't it? I mean, if you go to apply for a job in today's world, the first thing a new employer is going to, a potential employer is going to do is Google your name and look at your social networking activities, right? I mean, the first thing they're going to do, because they're smart enough to know, if you complained about them to me, you will complain about me to them, Right? Or how about how we talk pub or privately? 
Um, when, uh, when we were, uh, before we came to Windsor Road, uh, we worked at a place where we had an intern uh, at one point. And, and again, both of us were young and both of us had an ego. And so there were times where we would kind of lock up on things in the office. Uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of a who's right, how we're going to do it, things like that and stuff. And so we would lock up in the office and, uh, and kind of not really come to any agreement. And I would go home and watch TV with my wife and hang out and whatever else. And he would go home and relay the entire argument to his wife, you know, and go through all the reasons that I was an idiot and stuff like that, okay? So then what would happen is the next day, we would come to work, both had a chance to sleep on it, we'd talk through it, everything would be fine. And for the next two or three weeks, uh, his wife, who was a volunteer in our ministry, I'd have this weird interaction with her because I had conflict with him and then we dealt with it and I didn't realize I had conflict with her because I didn't know he was telling all of that to her and that she was going to be mad at me for a significant amount of time over that. We caught up again a couple years ago and uh, we were just kind of laughing about those times. And he said, you know, I don't go home and talk about everything anymore. I was like, really? Really? It took you that long? But think about this. Let's do this as a little case study, okay? So let's pretend hypothetically that you work at the University of Illinois, right? That's a strong hypothetical in this room, I'm sure. I can't roll a bowling ball down the stairs without hitting somebody that works at the U of I probably, right? Okay, so hypothetically, let's say you work at the University of Illinois. And you go into your boss one day. You love the university. You attended here, and then you decide you want to be a townie, and you've got, you know, uh, you've got uh, season tickets, and this, you know, you bleed orange. I mean, this place is your life. You love it. And you go to your boss, and you say, I've got a plan for how I'm going to be able to do my job more efficiently. And, and you know, you go throughout the whole plan, and you've got, you know, PowerPoint slides, and everything's great. And the end of the plan is, and if you just give me an iPad, I can do my, my job this much better. And your boss says, no. Well, this doesn't settle well with you. So you go home, and at the dinner table, you're complaining. This stupid place, they don't care about people at all. I had a plan to do my job more efficiently. They said, no, I can't believe it. Okay? And your 14-year-old son is sitting at the dinner table. <clears throat> well, you come back into work the next day, and your boss says, well, I wasn't at liberty to discuss this yesterday, but I just want to give you a heads up. Um, all of us in the department, except for you, we're all being let go. Okay, our positions are being eliminated. You're the only one who's going to keep their job and you're going to move somewhere else. And so I don't even have the ability to, to okay new technology. Now your perspective has changed, right? Now you feel extremely blessed just to have the job you have and you don't really care as much about the technology anymore. But three years later, when your 14-year-old is now 17 and they're doing college applications, they don't want to go to the University of Illinois because they don't like this place. And you can't figure out why. Your words have power to those who are in your life. Your words make an impact on those who are around you. Now, college students, all right? I know you've been kind of laying low for a little bit here thinking, oh, this is great. We're just going to talk about work. I don't have a job yet. He's going to leave me alone. No. Okay? College students. All right. So you are in a boring lecture, right? You have this class you had to take, and this, you got the professor you didn't want at the time you didn't want, and you're in this boring lecture, and so you get online to complain about this horrendous class that you have to take at a t on your way to earning a degree at a top-tier university that is going to open up doors for you the rest of your life because that, those words, University of Illinois, are on a piece of paper. You're attending paying tuition dollars that are being subsidized 
by the tax dollars generated in a state that is drowning in debt. Remind me again how brutal your life is. Okay? Seriously, all right? Sometimes I wonder if we all need, like, grandma to come hang out with us again today, if you don't have anything nice to say. You know, I mean, we learned this as we were kids. We just don't apply it anymore. Okay, understand, if you have the kind of job or lifestyle that affords you to be at a computer and complain about your job and lifestyle, then you are probably not in the 99% that should be occupying Wall Street, okay? You probably don't have a great case for why your life is so horrendous. The respect that you do or do not show those in authority over you, okay, speaks volumes about the respect you do or do not have for God. Serve like you're serving Christ. Work like you're working for Christ. And lead like God is your leader. Okay, but how about heart? How's our heart doing? He said serve with sincerity of heart. A couple couple years ago, we had some friends from uh, from we lived out west. Uh, We had some friends who were getting married. And so they asked if we would come out and do the wedding. And you know, you know how it goes. Like, I went into ministry to be a servant. And so if a good friend of mine needs me to travel out to the state of Colorado and do an outdoor wedding in the Rocky Mountain National Forest, I am that kind of servant, okay? I will take one for the team and I will help out, all right? And Elizabeth was generous in going with me, okay? So we went and did that. It was, it was like the day before the wedding, and we were uh, having lunch with this couple and talking to them. And, and I was kind of, you know, giving them some thoughts along the way. And, and I said, so I'm assuming then you guys are going to um, gonna unplug the iPhones for the week, right? You're going to kind of, I mean, you're going on your honeymoon. You're going to leave those behind and get rid of those and stuff. And these are two very, very tech-savvy people. They work at a huge church in Oklahoma that's got internet campuses everywhere and multi-site campuses and stuff like that. And so I'm like, you know, you're, you're going to ditch your phone for the week, right? You're going to try and disconnect a little bit for your honeymoon. And they looked at me like I was from another era. I mean, they looked at me like I was, an, like I was 100 years old and completely lost touch on reality. Okay, listen, I don't hate technology. I have my notes on an iPad, okay? I'm not, I'm not somebody who just rejects technology in every form. But call me crazy? I guess I just thought that maybe on their honeymoon, they could find something better to do than to tweet. You know, I mean, it just, it just seems reasonable. I mean, if I think of the greatest experience I've ever had sending emails on my phone and my honeymoon, you know, I mean, the scales tip pretty strong, right? And my point is this, that they at that time were working in a job where work wasn't paying for those phones. So they spent their own money on smartphones, which is fine. And then they, on their own will, took those phones and connected them to the work email server. And then they allowed that email to come in every evening and interrupt their time. And every weekend. And they were going to continue to do the same on their honeymoon. And I guess it makes me think, I wonder how much of our work stress is actually on us. You know, and I'm not talking about when you go home and you think about work a little bit, okay? Anybody who, who is passionate and successful and cares about what they do, anybody in that category has had nights where they can't go to sleep because they care about what's happening at work. They've had times where work has interrupted their personal life because, because they're passionate about what they do. 
But I guess I wonder how, how much sometimes our difficulty in establishing healthy boundaries means that personal bleeds into work and then work bleeds into personal. And pretty soon you're complaining about this, about this idiot boss when the truth is it's your own failings that are at issue. How about this? For personal reflection, okay? Think about right now the work stress that you face right now that, you're, that is going through your mind this weekend. Is that due to my idiot boss or my hard heart? Which is it that is responsible for the stress that I'm dealing with? Serve like you're serving Christ. Work like you're working for Christ. And lead like God is your leader. The last thing he says is, for servants is, to serve as you would serve for Christ. He says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not man, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Ouch, right? The thought of like working for my boss like I would work for God, uh, that's pretty hard when I'm still trying to navigate the respect thing, right? You know, I haven't kind of worked this far down. Okay, well, sometimes we ask, well, what if my boss is unreasonable or unethical or illegal? And those are kind of separate questions. I'll say this, if if you feel like the demands being put on you are completely unreasonable, I might go back to what soldiers sometimes say, that, that you salute the rank and not the person. There are times where you can respect the position of authority someone has in your life without respecting who that person is or what they stand for or anything else. But if, if you were being asked to do something unethical or illegal, I, I'd come back to what Martin Luther King Jr. said in Letter from Birmingham Jail. He talks in there about just and unjust laws, and he says basically we have a, we have a moral responsibility not to follow an unjust law. That if you are being asked to do something, you have a responsibility to God to stand up in the midst of something unethical or illegal and say, enough is enough. Who are you more afraid of, your boss or God? And I know that my perspective might be skewed a little bit. I actually do work for a great boss, okay? And I don't say that just because Randy might listen to the podcast. Though if you are listening, Randy, I just, no, I'm just kidding, Okay. <laughs> I respect Randy Boltinghouse as a man and as a leader. I really, really do. But also hear me when I say that Randy doesn't scare me. I mean, the worst thing that Randy can do in my life is fire me. Okay. Dave Ramsey, in his recent leadership book, Entree Leadership, he says, sometimes the best thing to do is to look at the worst case scenario and then step back from it for a second and say, okay, if I could process the worst case scenario in this, then I think I could handle anything else that comes my way. Okay? Eternity is at stake, and your boss has no bearing on it whatsoever. Eternity is at stake, and your boss won't decide it. The, The day that you stop working for a boss here on earth and get things right in your relationship with God, I think that's the day that fear and anxiety and pettiness can begin to subside. Now, I don't mean they're gonna go away immediately, okay? but at least their grip on your heart begins to lessen a little bit. I had a conversation with a friend this week who, who was reflecting on her work career, and she said, she said, you know, the day that I started trying to impress God more than my supervisor is the day everything changed for me completely. The last several weeks have been on Ephesians, okay? And I guess I wonder if it's possible that, that this talk uh, about submission in husbands and wives in Ephesians 5.21, and the talk about children and parents in 6, 1 through 3, and this talk about servants and masters. I wonder if all that conversation about submission is really just practice for how we relate to God. 
In other words, however you would or would not submit in those relationships uh, is how you would or would not submit when it comes to God. If I won't love my wife, then you won't ever love God. If I won't submit to my parents, then you'll never submit to God. And if I'm going to get out on some social network or wherever else, some water cooler conversation, and I'm going to say negative things about my boss who's actually in an office a few feet away, what will I say about God? Or how about the way we leave a job? Okay, I've seen some people who have left a job and they look literally like they were possessed. And I mean that in a good way. But, you know, they're, they're making these plans and they're creating a to-do list and spreadsheets and they've got all these things and, and they leave this job looking like, like they want this job to be able to continue on for six months without them there. Okay, and I've seen other people leave a job like they seem like they're hoping it's going to fail after they're gone. Do you recognize that both of those things... Both of those things show your integrity. And both of those things speak volumes to everyone in your life about your commitment to God. Are we getting how deep this submission thing should go for us? Your lifestyle and your family's security are supported by the generosity of a company or an individual. And I think it's time that we live like we recognize that. The last thing Paul does is he delivers basically the same message uh, to the managers in this situation. Here's what he says. He says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he was both their master and yours in, is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Listen, if you are in a position of leadership, you owe those who work for you more than just a paycheck. Okay? If you are in a position of leadership, you owe them more than just the salary you've agreed to pay them. Are you a leader worth following? Are you investing in the people who work for you? I love what John Maxwell says. He says it this way. He says, you will either invest in your team to learn, and they might leave with your free education, or you don't invest in them to learn, and they will remain dumb and stay. Okay? Isn't that perfect? And maybe you say, well, I don't have employees, so I don't get, listen, there are people in service roles in your life all the time. Uh, this week, we had uh, all the high school guys' D groups were combined, and they were together in my living room, okay? And, uh, and, and, the, and we ordered pizza from a local pizza place, which will remain nameless, and, uh, and the pizza was about 30 minutes late, okay? I don't know if you've ever had a living room full of teenage boys and had pizza show up 30 minutes late, but it is a scary scene, okay? That they were going to eat the couch or a couple of us leaders or whatever else, Okay? And so the guys are asking me, oh, are you going to give that pizza guy a piece of your mind? And, and one of the leaders and I were saying to them, okay, guys, you've got to know a couple of things about how the world works. First, the pizza guy delivering the food has pretty much probably no control over when he got the food to us, okay? And the second thing is, he probably doesn't even care, you know? <laughs> so yelling at him is just not going to do a lot of good. Now, after the fellas left... I very calmly and firmly called the manager at this pizza place and explained to them exactly how I felt about this whole situation and stuff, okay? But there's a time and a place for those, okay? Managers. Managers don't just have authority. They are under authority. We don't just get to boss people around. We are under authority. And according to Paul, we should never forget that. Serve like you're serving Christ. Work like you're working for Christ and lead like God is your leader. 
There's a book I read a couple years ago that, that talks about basically the idea that, that you really don't get to make that many choices in life. The truth is about the only thing you consistently get to choose is your own attitude. Okay, you know, we all grew up in a family, in a town somewhere, we attended school somewhere, maybe we made some choices along the way about where we would go, but, but it's kind of the dirty secret of leadership. Anybody who, who's in a position of, of management or authority or whatever kind of gets this. You know, you look from the outside and you're like, oh, it'd be so sweet to be a boss and get to do anything I wanted. The truth is, it's more like a pyramid, right? You know, the higher you move up in management, the less choices you actually get to make for yourself most of the time, okay? The choice, you may choose very little in your daily life, but an attitude of submission, an attitude of submission, and the act of seeing Jesus in the face of everybody with whom you come into contact with, that is a daily choice you get to make. The band's going to come forward, and we're gonna, uh, they're going to lead us in a song, and then we're going to move into our time of communion. And, and I don't know where you're at today, uh, I don't know if you're at a point where maybe you need to repent um, over your attitude and where it's been lately. Maybe you need to make a commitment. You need to write it down somewhere. You need to type it in your phone. You need to do whatever. But you say, this week I've got to go make a relationship right because I've not been who I needed to be. Or maybe you just need to take a few moments dialoguing with God and repent. Repent for where your heart has been lately. We may not get to choose a lot. We choose if we have hearts that are submitted to God. We get to choose how we treat those we interact with on a regular basis.